Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with an old friend. At this point, are we old friends now? I mean, I'm not even like are, six or seven we years. We are so, we are so old friends. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old, you're not, but our friendship's been around for a while. <laughs> well, um, and you are, uh, you're very close to some of my friends too. I mean, um, Brad Wagner has been on the podcast recently after years of badgering and controlling. Uh, you'll be happy <laughs> to know, Steve, he's been That's on awful. here. Just uh, give him a crumb, man. Give him a crumb. Uh, well, no. <laughs> The dude, he, so the person you're listening to before I get too far into this and we uh, deviate, which, you know, when I actually know and uh, enjoy someone's company, we often can get a little distracted in the beginning of the podcast. Uh, the voice that you're hearing is Steve Graves, and he's a strategist. Um, he's been like a CEO whisperer for a long, long time, author. Um, I've tweeted through several of of his books. So um, the last one I think I did was was Flourishing, um, which was out for, I don't know, it's been out for a while. He's got a, a book that came out last year called 41 Deposits. That's Crucial Conversations for Fathers and Sons. And uh, I definitely picked that one up and was convicted uh, by it. I have two younger sons, Steve. And so, you know, that's that's something that um, just really spoke to me. I know that, you know, probably that's a, a popular book around Father's Day. But guys, that's it, don't wait till Father's Day to either get or give uh, a book like that. Uh, your your newest book, I'm really excited about. And to be quite frank, I have not read it yet. But I'm going to. Um, and and can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, it's it's called five tasks that every yeah. senior leader needs to do. And as somebody who speaks to um, high level CEOs, both profit and nonprofit, um, can you talk a little bit about what those five tasks are? And then we'll go back to um, messing with Brad Wagner and then we'll get into our five questions. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So a, a lot of the the new book that I've got out, is, is actually, it's just me. It's, it's decades of me doing what I do. You know, I work with eight to 10 uh, CEOs at a time and have for years and years and years. And, um, you know, I usually kind of speak in areas connected to faith, uh, leadership, strategy, or some combination thereof. And so what I did is I simply sat back down one day because I began to watch how many CEOs or senior leaders or business owners or entrepreneurs who basically were spending time doing the wrong thing. They were, they were, they were, a lot of them were highly energetic, highly active, but like it's the old Peter Drucker quote, if you remember it, Peter Drucker said, there's nothing so useless as doing efficiently that which we should not be, which should not be done at all. And so, you know, like just because we're efficient and all that doesn't mean I'm doing the right thing. So basically what I did is this. I sat down and I, through a series of filters, I made a decision that um, there's five tasks that every senior leader really must do. Um, they must set direction. I'm going there, not there. They must set speed. I'm going to go this fast or this slow because there's consequences on each of those. I'm going to set risk. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet the whole farm. I'm going to bet your farm, my farm, everybody's farm, or just an acre of the farm. What risk am I going to take? Set resources, which usually comes down to people and money. And then last, set culture. And, and when we talk about setting, I use that word very, very intentionally. Um, it's not mandate something. It sets something. And so some, leader, some people's leadership style is very much, and we know, you know, Todd, you know this. We've seen this happen over and over. Some people's leadership style is really more top-down. Some people's leadership style is, is much more bottom-up. Um, some people are way more collaborative. Uh, you know, it's just it, it's it, regardless of someone's leadership style, it doesn't matter. And regardless of what kind of company they're in, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're if you're running a billion dollar company or you've got a you know a million dollar startup that's trying to sell you know barbecue sandwiches or something. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're the senior leader. It's up to you to set these five things, and you don't have to set them by yourself, um, but but they have to be set. And when they're not set. Certain things will always, always uh, um, uh, uh, show up inside the organization. So those are the five tasks that every senior leader must do. Set direction, set speed, set risk, set resources, set culture. That's really good. And I think it's really ap- applicable for whoever's listening um, at you know various levels of leadership in an organization if – you are even leading a team, you know, you have to walk through those five things as well. I mean, obviously setting direction um, may be a subset of the overall vision for your church or the vision for your organization. Um, but the rest, you know, is is up to you. Setting speed, setting risk, setting resources, setting culture. Even, even within a given culture, there's a subculture and you're responsible yeah. for that. Yeah, um, totally, totally, totally right. Okay, so before we get into the five questions, I also want to ask your perspective on on something I was just thinking about because I mean, you talk to you talk to people all the time that are just amazingly godly people that are completely sold out for the kingdom of God, and yet either you know they they. I, I'm constantly running into a situation where I'm talking to people that are successful in a business world who are sold out for Jesus, who are trying to figure out their calling. And so, and this is, you know, this is not on the five questions that you received before we we're talking. So this is straight out of nowhere. But uh, I know that I know that I know that you talk to guys all the time that are successful in business and yet probably struggle with calling, like, am I supposed to be a pastor or what am I supposed to do as I'm figuring out, you know, I'm God's workmanship and and who he's wired me to be and how he's wired me. Um, is there, do you think, do you think that whole idea of calling um, has shifted and how are people, how are people kind of responding to it in, in today's world? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's actually a very relevant question. It's really funny because um, it the the issue and the need hasn't gone around, it hasn't gone away. For for sure, I agree with you. For sure, the filter um, which uh, through which you know um, millennials and then even Gen Zs that they're thinking about calling probably looks a little different than maybe a Gen Xer or for sure a baby boomer. But, you know, the, 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 the concept of calling actually is still 
it's still embedded squarely in the middle of what it looks like for somebody to actually take the gospel serious. If the gospel, you know, we have to ask the question, at the end of the day, what was God's intent for the gospel mandate? Is the gospel purposefully, uh, is, is, is the gospel supposed to be purposefully um, uh, penetrating all of my world, all of my life, kind of all of who I am and what I'm doing? Or is the gospel simply, is it simply aligned and supposed to sit right over there in the corner and I pull it out on Sundays and I make sure I know what it's supposed to look like and I go through those motions? You know, and then, oh, by the way, I, I, I use it when I do my, my Bible readings in the morning. Or does the gospel have anything to do with some of the hard business issues that we face every day, whether they're people or competition or money or taking risk or whatever? And as long as somebody has kind of a binary view of the gospel and, and work, if, if I've got this, as long as I've got this not notion that the gospel's over there and then the real world's over here, you know, then you know what? I might still struggle, but I've actually got an answer. It's the wrong answer, but it's an answer. It's when people begin to really have more animation in their faith, when their faith really begins to either, uh, you know, the roots get deeper and more active or the fruit begins to really be born and they begin to really be burdened by, you know, my life needs to be redemptive. So, like, let me give you a quick example. So right now, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I, make, I invest in some companies and I, I own or co-own probably a half a dozen companies that I've been involved in through the, through the years. And I have a filter. My fourfold filter for investing is, is it profitable? Is it scalable? Is it redemptive? And is it healthy? Now, that's ideal. I mean, who wouldn't want to invest in something like that? But, but the question is, is like I'm assuming any and every business has the potential to have a redemptive edge to it. Now, it might not look the same for everybody, but if you line up five dentist offices or if you line up five restaurants or five car dealerships or five anything, you know, and you put a person of faith that's leading that enterprise and then you have that person really trying to, um, uh, to use the word again, animate the gospel inside there, you know, what does that look like? And so I think calling, for me, calling is embedded at the very beginning of any leader of faith figuring out what it looks like to live on Monday. You know, now if you're if you're if you're a pastor, if you're a pastor, or if you're in the in the in the um, uh, vocational career of ministry, you know, you, you kind of got to still filter that thing through. But if you're not there, um, and you're working somewhere other than in a church setting, you know, you you got to work through that filter. If you don't, you're going to end up by practice having a binary view, which is you know what. My real work world's over here, and my spiritual gospel right. life is over there. So calling, call, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Calling is still a very, very important um, um, understanding. I mean, my son, my son's 25. I had breakfast with him this morning. He worked in a Fortune 500 company. Now he's doing a startup, and he's trying to figure out what in the heck does it look like for his startup to have any redemptive edges. And it's and that's an that's a that's a great wrestling experience. It's a great experience for him to wrestle through that. Right. Wow. Okay. So I don't want to break it down generationally, but I do think um, Xers and Boomers that I've talked to have struggled with. Oh, if I'm going to live out 
my calling, so to speak, it has to be in vocational ministry. Like it, it's like, you know, I have to leave what I'm doing and, and go serve in the church. Whereas I think the younger guys I've interacted with, I'm just kind of thinking out loud, processing out loud with you, Steve, but I don't know if there's um, if there's any kind of generational divide or not, but I do think it's well, interesting. Here's what, we, here's what we know. Here's what we know, Todd, for sure. We know that a millennial thinks and practices in much more of, an, of a naturally intuitive, integrated way of life. We know that. Right. We know that. We know a baby boomer certainly had, you know, much more performance based and certainly had much more of a of a segmented way. You know, I'm a, that's my work over there. My family's right. over here. My hobbies are over here. My church life's over there. But so so we know that's true. I mean, I mean, I, you know, now what that means and how that affects the topic of calling um, maybe could be debated. But we yeah. certainly know, you know, that to your point, um, a younger generation has a much more intuitive, integrated way of thinking and behaving about life. Good deal. All right. Well, let's get into our uh, our first question, and that is, who are you currently learning from? Wow, love that question. Um, you know, I, let's just let me think. So I, I think here's what I'd put for the answer to that. Uh, I am a, um, you know, because of what I do, uh, because I get to work with extraordinary leaders every week, in some ways, it's like I, I get, I'm in like an MBA of leadership every single week that I wake up because uh, I get to work with extraordinary leaders. So I'm learning a ton from my clients, from my mentors. I'm learning a lot from that group of people. I'm also learning a ton from my family and, and, and just some of my friends. Like my wife and I right now, you know, we're empty nesters and we, along with many of our friends, are trying to figure out what it looks like to um, appropriately uh, relate to and still parent adult children. You know, my kids are 20, right. uh, 26, 30, and 32. And, you know, uh, I mean, you know, shame on me if I'm still parenting like I was when they were 10, 12, and 16 or whatever. And, and so, you know, we're having to learn that. And so, you know, we've got, we're in a, we're in a community group with a group of friends. We have a dinner, a, kind of a book club, dinner club that we, that we're reading a book by a buddy of mine named Jim Burns on how do you live with adult children. And it's awesome. It's a great book. But so, so I'm learning a ton. I'm learning a ton from my, from my uh, friends and from uh, uh, some of my family members, maybe my adult kids are helping us figure out, figure this whole thing out. But then I also learn in the areas of business and other stuff. I learn every week, every week from my clients. I mean, there's not a week that goes by that some, some CEO I'm working with doesn't, either ask me, have I read this book or have I seen this article? And if I have, great. If I hadn't, I write it down and I, I go pull it up and look at it. Right. So that's, that's a, so I, I get, I, in some ways I kind of get up and go to the library every week. I'm learning. What's, what's fascinating to me is that if we do leadership development or discipleship uh, correctly, if we do it well, then we're constantly growing ourselves because I have never been more challenged as a leader um, than when I'm actively developing a sharp, uh, a sharp budding leader um, because they are going to ask me really good 
questions that I'm going to have to wrestle with and I can't phone it in and give my pat answer to um, because they're going to follow up with another question and another question. Yeah, yeah um, that's great. That's great. So I, I can imagine your job must be absolutely amazing. It sounds wonderful uh, because you're being forced well, to learn job. and you're learning the most as you're going along with people. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, just so, I mean, you know, full disclosure, for example, um, you know, I'll have a CEO and every, every CEO that I have during, a, during a single engagement, I will always ask them to pick either a knowledge area, a skill area, an attitude or a behavior area. One of those four knowledge, skill, attitude, or behavior. And I'll ask them to pick one of those and then find something in that bucket that they really want to grow in. And so, you know, I mean, like, so I'll have somebody that, and this is like not the core of, of why somebody would, would hire me. This is, you know, they're going to hire me for strategic reasons, but this would be kind of a, just along the way, we're going to be working on that and developing something in them. So, you know, I'll have somebody that um, really, really wants to learn how to, you know, be a better delegator or somebody who really wants to learn how to be not so critical or not so judgmental or defensive or whatever. And so, you know, and when I have somebody that and I'm trying to help them walk through that, I guess who's guess who's working on themselves on that one? I am. Right. And so, I mean, so I, I really do. I really do get to if I'm if I want to and I'm willing, I get a chance to try to grow every week in some area if I'm if I'm up to it. There's nothing like discipling a new believer or there's nothing like developing a young, sharp leader, in my opinion, to grow in both those areas. I love I love that. Okay, let's move on to our, uh, our, our second question. And that's what's the main point of emphasis that you have um, with your team and those people you're leading right now? Oh, you know, Todd, I don't know if I have one. I've got, there's two or three themes that, that are, that are beginning to reoccur in the last few weeks or months that I find myself spending a little bit more time with, with more, not just an isolated person. You know, like a lot of people are really trying to figure out, you know, how do you find your footing uh, in your own unique leadership style and yet still be growing and developing and learning but not just not just ever you know morphing to whatever the latest book is that, that's out there. Like, how do you really, really? Because if you look at the great CEOs, they're learning and they're reading books, but they're not just you know they're not trying to change the stripes on their back every you know every time they read a, the trendy book. And so, no. I have a framework that I developed years ago called Voice Center Path Toolbox, and. I'll often lead somebody through that framework where they can really find their unique voice and their, and their unique center as a leader. Um, and then of course their path and the toolbox is there because again, the point is this, you definitely need to be learning and I definitely need to be reading books and listening to podcasts and going to places that are going to challenge me to, to, to grow in my leadership style. But at the end of the day, you know, I am who God's made me. And the, the more I can discover that and find my footing, really and truly probably the greatest chance I'm going to have uh, as a leader. So that would be one. Um, a second one might be, um, you know, I, I do get to work with a lot of founders through the years. And uh, usually founders reach a point 
that they have to figure out how to become more of an enterprise leader and not just a founder movement leader. I don't know if those terms ring a bell for you or not, but it's, it's, you know, when a founder, when a founder's in the early stage of being a founder leader, um, certain dynamics are true and certain dynamics happen. But then as an organization begins to really grow and develop and all of that, it's, it's really, it's, it's really important that the, that the, the senior leader, the, the, the pastor, the CEO, the business owner, the entrepreneur, whoever it is, it's really important that they become more of an enterprise leader and not just the quote, quote, founder leader. And so that's another, that's kind of another uh, thing that I'm spending a lot of time with, um, with leaders lately. So I don't know if it, those are two things I know that came to mind when you asked the question. So what do you think? Uh, I mean, you know, you, you know, a lot of senior pastors um, and church leaders, how going back to um, that founder and enterprise, you know, kind of exchange there, when you think about it, you know, a lot of the either a, there are some pastors that have been in the, the seat so long at their church, it feels like they're a founder or there are so many uh, church plants that were, you know, born out of the the '90s and early 2000s that are now, um, you know, have come into their own, and they've got leaders who are kind of entering in the other side of of ministry, and or um, maybe they haven't just made that shift yet. So, so talk about potentially maybe some things that you've seen um, in a in a secular or nonprofit setting that could be applicable over to the church. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's a ton of things that, that can roll over to the church, but sitting right inside the church, you know, every, every leader has to constantly evaluate every season. Uh, and a season can be, you know, two years, three years, or a season can be five or six years, but you know, every leadership season has to have a serious evaluation uh, 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 at the end of it to answer, you know, am I the right person to still set direction, speed, risk, resources, and culture? And because organizations often, especially the bigger they get and the more mature they become and the more complex they are, you know, and this is one of the things that really trips up founders and it often trips up uh, certain kinds of personality leaders you know, a leader who's kind of more of a rah-rah leader often, they, 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 they're, they've, they're used to allowing their personality or their passion points um, or their enthusiasm for life to literally be the single tool in their toolbox or their instrument in their toolbox that really, that, that they think delivers all the organizational needs it's the thing that helps them pick people. It's the thing that helps them um, build teams. It's the thing that helps them get a, a vision alignment. It's the thing that helps give high performance execution or whatever. And that's what I mean. You know, that's just, you can't do that. When you have a bigger organization, you have to learn how to be an enterprise leader. And the bigger your organization is, the less you really are doing and the more your team's really doing. And so the team is carrying the water. And what you have to learn to do is just to figure out your role and, and, and set in it. And that's one. It's, it's two, what often happens is the longer that a, a, a founder is in place or the longer that I'm in, especially if I'm in the early stage, if I'm in the early stages of the buildup of a church or a nonprofit or even a, a company, 
uh, my narrative, my personal calling, my personal passion in life, my preferences, my style, all of those things will be very paramount and they will be expressed in the organization. I mean, like explicitly, you know, like if I like a certain kind of music, guess what kind of music we're going to have on Sunday morning. Um, If I like, you know, a really lit up church with lots of lights, guess what we're probably going to have. You know, um, and, and I don't, I don't I'm, I'm exaggerating, but I think you get the point. Because guess what? You know, if, if it wasn't for that, there probably wouldn't be anything. And so right. that's fair. That's fine. However, the bigger we become, I have to acquiesce my preferences and my personality and my style. And I have to begin to let the organization, the enterprise, develop its own desire. And that's why Peter Drucker used to say all the time, you know, famous Peter Drucker, he would he would say when you really want to um, when you really want to make advances in an organization you don't start and ask what does the market want you you get there eventually but you but you also have to ask what does the organization need and so what you do is you begin to say you know if the organization really needs something then that begins to give you some directives on how to grow the organization so I mean it, there's not an easy answer I mean I'm not a I'm not a guy who really believes that you know, most of life comes down to, you know, kind of silver bullets here and silver bullets there. Most of it doesn't. Um, but for sure, for sure, as a leader leads through seasons of life, you know, it's incumbent on that leader to do kind of a, um, an evaluation and a reset. Because if they don't, if they don't, they will find themselves moving away from where either the organization needs to go and or where the market wants that organization to go because of their own preferences and their own past and history and style. That's good. I'm just thinking now of, you know, the whole idea too, that the higher you go in leadership, the less, the actually the less decisions you should be making. And if that's if, and only if you practice those five, those five things, because if you're, if you're setting those things in place, then the decisions are already made before they get to you. And frankly, yeah. you don't need to. <laughs> it's yeah, best if yeah. you do. Yeah. Now here's the now here's the here's the trick question on that on that assumption though, Todd. Which in theory, I agree with you. And generally speaking, I compl- I can concept I agree with you completely. But what happens is this. You know, depending on your leadership style. Again, you know, we 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 live in a world where we really really. We, we love iconic genius leadership models. We love that. We love to create the iconic Steve Jobs or the iconic Warren Buffett or the iconic, you know, J.D. Greer, who is awesome. You know, we love, we love to create. And then what we do is we say, oh, no, that's the, that's the perfect leader. But, but the truth is, if you really have any exposure, we all know pastors who don't have unbelievable gregarious personalities um, they're much more analytical. They might even be an introvert. And guess what? They built a killer church. They still right. they're still killing it in their community, you know. And the opposite is true as well. And we've met some pastors who are unbelievably hip, and they're you know people think they're twenty and they're fifty, and they just they, they still look good in skinny jeans or whatever. And you know, and then we also know pastors that I mean they they look as frumpy as they can be, but you know what? Their authentic scores are through the roof. Right. And millennials love them and they're going to the church. And so, you know, you got to be careful. Now, here's where I was going to go to your point. Generally speaking, 
most of good leadership might just be facilitating other good leaders. That's true. However, most of the time in a leader's, in a leader's tenure, most of the time there are occasions where a leader has to distinguish the difference between facilitating and leading, you know, and those are not the same thing. Facilitating is where I really am driving the collaborative collective mindset of something. And I'm trying to get alignment and we all agree. Right. And so, yeah, the decision just kind of makes itself and that's awesome. But every now and then, guess what? You know, somebody has to make a hard decision. Um, now, it can be an informed decision. It doesn't have to be unilateral from the top. But it still requires not just facilitation. It requires, you know, a decision, a leadership decision. Oh, uh, totally. But, but your, your premise is still true. I'm saying what I'm saying is, you know, going back to, to great quotes, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast, but it gets its appetite from purpose. And so <laughs> – if that is all clearly defined, then organizationally, if the organiza if if you have a very uh, clearly defined vision and values, especially the values, the shared values of the organization that are that are, that are actualized, they're not aspirational, they're actualized. Then a lot of the day to day decisions and things that a lot of leaders get caught up in are they they don't even have to they shouldn't have to deal with it is only um pruning because there's too much for or there's too much um because we're getting a lot out of alignment with that uh purpose potentially um because we've had so you know we've had success and with success comes opportunity and so um we love to take advantage of new opportunities especially when there's growth and at first it seems like we can feed that but but in the end we can't. And so it's that leader's job, I think, to, to kind of step in there prior to or maybe to see that or maybe when it happens. I don't know. I'm getting way off track now. <laughs> Doesn't matter. This is, this, is, this is more of a conversation <laughs> that we should have at a lunch table uh, probably. I'm in. I'm um, in on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and part of the reason why I think people listen to the podcast anyway is, you know, it is ex insanely conversational. And the, yes. the, the questions are a framework for conversation. Um, but I'll draw us back, uh, back to that before I get too far down the road. Um, okay. So when we look at our third question, other than spiritual disciplines, what's one or two things you have to do every day to stay sharp as a leader? Yeah. You know, I, um, yeah. So things, some of my daily routines is, uh, I will always check my list of must do's for that day and that week. I will always do that. Every Sunday, every Sunday afternoon or Sunday night, I will create a seriously intense list of things that must be done uh, that week. And, um, and then I'll create a list of things that can be done as well. If I have an extra time or margin time. Right. Um, and I've been doing that for ever, forever. And, um, uh, and, and every day I will at least I will at least spend a few minutes looking at that list because what it does is it allows me to calibrate where I am right. or to do a quick reset or to reallocate or rebudget or rebalance things a little bit. So I'll always keep an eye on that. Um, I, I try to, I try to keep up, keep up with, and these are not in priority at all, Todd, but this is random. No. Uh, another, another thing I do is I, I try to keep up daily with some, um, just with some key news headlines 
And, you know, sometimes if I'm flying somewhere, I might grab a paper or I'll check up my feed on my phone or whatever. And I'm, I'm not going to read everything, but I'm just going to, but I'm definitely going to check the headlines to see if I want to mark something that perhaps later that evening or the next morning, or if I had a space, I might want to go read. So in other words, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort things that I think I might be interested in, um, you know, because I mean, I'm not just going to, I'm not the guy who's just going to sit down and consume the, the, you know, the, the top of the newspaper to the back page, bottom of the newspaper and everything that's in it. It's just too much, you know, it's just too much to know in our world. So I'll do kind of a quick review of headlines and find things that I know I want to, to look at or, or read. Um, you know, I, I do, to your point of spiritual stuff, I do have a, uh, you know, I, I, I actually use a Bible app that pushes a key Bible verse to me every day. And I do try to embrace, you know, like, you know, today's Bible verse was John one five for me, you know, um, uh, you know, the light shines in darkness and darkness, um, you know, um, uh, you know, doesn't overcome it. And so I, tr- I try to grab a Bible verse that really embrace it, um, uh, on a daily basis. Uh, and then another thing, one last thing I'll do is, um, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a content guy, obviously. Um, and I'm always in great learning venues as we talked about earlier. And so I'll, I'll usually, usually have a, a journal or I've got a notepad on my phone or whatever. And I'll, I mean, I'll write down stuff. I mean, as I'm going through the day, you know, I'm not, I'm not the guy that just hears something and hopes I can remember it and then pull it back up later and then maybe have, you know, have something I can do with it. I'll, I will literally stop a conversation dead on and say, Hey, hold on just a second. Would you just give me 30 seconds or 10 seconds to write down this thing that you just said, or this thing I need to go do about what you just said. So I'll, I'll try to keep my learning kind of in the moment, if that makes sense. So those are some things. So when you, you know, make that list at the beginning of the week and you, you have these things that must get done, there's got to be things on that list that you just don't want to do. Um, so I refer to those things as, and I don't even know where I picked this up. Hopefully it may have been middle of nowhere in Kentucky, but the whole eat the frog. Like, how do you eat the frog? Like, how do you go about tackling just practically speaking, that, you know, there's got to be one every, at least every week on that must-do list that just I do not want to do this. I want to avoid it. Maybe it's a difficult conversation or it's going to take more time than I want or, you know, what whatever it is. How do you eat the frog? Yeah, great question. So what I'll do is this. I'll try to distinguish if, 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 if I don't want to eat the frog because I'm really, I'm really still not sure – about the frog and whether I should eat the frog or how I'm supposed to get it done. If I'm, if I'm still not real clear, then I will postpone. I'll let, I'll just let it ride itself out, hoping to get more clarity. See, my assumption is this Todd. Once a leader is clear, most leaders are going to move, baby. I mean, it, clarity, clarity is like 70, 80% of the game. It really is. Once a leader is clear slash confident. Okay. I mean, they're, they're in, they're in action mode. Um, and so if, if, if there's an item on my to-do list that I'm just, that I'm, you know, like if I've got a client that I've got to decide on whether I'm going to keep, uh, keep another year and I'm just, and I really need to sort through it and think about it more. Okay. Then, then I'll just let that roll down the list. I'll just let it roll week, day to day as an example. However, if it's something that I know about 
I'm clear. I just don't want to do. Like, I just don't want to taste that. I just don't right. want to taste the frog. Then, then what I will do is this. I will literally do it first and fast. I mean, right. like, I'll just like, I'll hold my nose and get it over. I will work when I know I have to get, I'm at my most productive when I work in 15 minute increments. You know, I have a theory. <laughs> I have a theory that people can literally, they, you can literally move, you know, you can move Mount Everest in 15 minute increments of work. You know, I mean, just it's it's amazing how how much work a typical person can do when they're really focused, when they're prepared, and when they're and when they're on task. It's the darnest you can you can move a lot of dirt with a shovel in 15 minutes when you're really just moving it. You know, and so when there's something I don't want to do, you know, I'll just literally do it first. I'll do it fast, and I'll say, "Yeah, here's 15 minutes." I'm moving in and I'll just see how much I can get done right now on my desk. The reason why I laughed is an old school timer and uh, <laughs> it's whatever. I mean, if you, if somebody's interested in the 15 minute kind of principle, look up Pomodoro technique, but it's, you know, basically 15 minute increments. Hey, I can set this timer for 15 minutes. I can at least focus and knock this thing out. The other thing that I try to do is, um, when I've got a bunch of little things is uh, I try to give a time value to those things and then, you know, measure that or hold myself accountable and try not to get distracted. I mean, when when part of your job is communication, I, here's the, the here's the bottom line, Steve. I, I know there's many listeners that are, are like I am. I consider myself a, a solid leader. However, there are instances where I will let Satan creep in mm -hmm. and he will convince me that I can kick that can down the road just a little bit more, or I'll do the thing that, you know, I'll do this other thing instead of the thing I know I'm supposed to do. So I really like the, I, I too am a person that would say, if it's going to, if you know, it's going to be really bad, just go ahead and eat that thing first in the morning, just get it done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, and here's the thing, Todd, I mean, I know, <clears throat> I know it's not, always um, appealing to to everybody's personality and all Enneagram numbers. However, um, you know, there's still a role for just good old fashioned discipline. I mean, there yep. are, there are things to, to your, what you're, what you're, what you're um, intimating at. There are things in life that just aren't fun and that they don't come intuitive and they're not easy. And you just, and it's just part of discipline. You just got to do it. You just got to get some stuff done. And, and so that's where I, I, I love your I love your time clock thing. That's awesome. Good deal. All right. Let's go to our fourth question, which is what does leadership in your home look like? Oh, I love that. That's a good question. So my wife and I, as I mentioned earlier, my wife and I are empty nesters. Um, and so we're, you know, we're we're trying to find our footing uh, <clears throat> with with our adult children. And we have a great relationship, just great relationship with our kids. Um, had two weddings last year. And so, you know, the, the, the dynamic of adult children is changing with us. Right. Um, so leadership looks like a couple of things for us. It looks like my wife and I learning together. Uh, we both are together on the path of trying to learn and steer each other and guide each other. And, you know, I'll say something to my wife where I'll say, you know, you know, I don't, I think we probably ought to just give them some space and not call them tonight. She'll look at me and she'll say, you know, I don't think, you know, you know, we shouldn't do that for them or whatever. And so we kind of coach each other up on how to grow 
um, in that area. That's one. Um, another one is because we are empty nesters, you know, I, I, I do take the responsibility to try to make sure that my wife and I both stay pretty uh, exposed and pretty active. You know, one, one of the things that can happen during the empty nest seasons of life is you just really get stuck and you get fatigued and you get unexposed and you just begin to, you, you know, you, you begin falling down tighter and tighter and tighter into a more narrow, small world. And so, you know, we try to stay very exposed and do things and go places and engage people that we, that might not agree with everything we believe in and, or we think. And so, you know, I, I, I take the leadership role in our family to try to keep us exposed and growing and developing and, um, it's not hard. It's easy, but but I do take I, that for me as a role of leadership at this season of our life and our home. Good deal. Okay. Every church must be equipped to respond well in the initial stages when learning about instances of sexual, physical, or emotional abuse, and that's why the Southern Baptist Convention, Lifeway, and ERLC partner together to create. Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused. This training curriculum consists of a handbook, 13 uh, enhanced video sessions that brings together top experts from various fields to help volunteers and leaders understand and implement the best practices for handling a variety of abuse scenarios at church, school, or in your ministry. You can access these videos and this training and this book all for free at Church Cares. So uh, our final question then is, what would you tell your 20-year-old self about leadership and uh, and preparing to lead? So you're going back and and consulting, coaching, if you will, uh, 20-year-old Steve. What are you going to tell him? Um, Boy, that's a good question. Um, You know, I think one thing I would tell 20-year-old Steve is I would tell him to um uh it's just it's around the whole idea probably just to relax a little bit more you know i'm a pro i'm a proactive intentional person um you know i'm not the guy that's just going to sleep all day and somebody has to wake me up and you know and remind me to go to work that's just that's not who i am and um but i think i would i think i would try to convince myself earlier to do something that I have learned and I am learning later in life, which is to practice a much more relaxed view of God's sovereignty. Um, now it's not a, it's not a theological view of God's sovereignty. It's a, it's a practice, a practical view of, of a relaxed view of God's sovereignty where, you know, you really do practice the notion that, you know, there is a, a, uh, an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God that does care for me with extraordinary love. And, you know, and he has said that, you know, he'll make my path straight. Um, doesn't mean I won't have problems. Doesn't mean I won't have cancer. Doesn't mean that, you know, doesn't mean any of that. But, right. but there is a, there is the ability for me to really learn how to kind of, you know, fall back into the wings of God, uh, the arms of God a lot earlier, not later. And I don't know if that's, I don't even know if that's possible or likely for a younger person. But I know, I, I know, I know that's been a really wonderful thing for me to learn. The older I've gotten, um, you know, th- so that that might be one thing for sure. Um, uh, and then maybe one more would be just you know learn how to trust people a lot faster. 
you know, I grew up in, I, I grew up fiercely independent, grew up without a dad in my home. Um, you know, I was kind of helping my mom with her taxes when she was, when I was 15. And so, I mean, I'm just, I just grew up fiercely independent. And so it took me, it took me a long time to really ever develop kind of a second nature trust of other people. You know, I was, I was the classic guy that if it's going to get done, I got to do it. It's going to get done right. I, I certainly got to do it, you know, kind of a thing. And, um, uh, so that would have been something I, if I'd have learned earlier, I think that would have helped me. Two, two thoughts, two ideas. Good, good. All right. Well, just thank you so much for spending time with us today. Um, I know I greatly uh, benefited from it and uh, pretty much anytime I'm around you do and your your books are short and sweet and a punch in the gut, uh, which I greatly appreciate because <laughs> I read enough uh, that I'm like, you know, you read a lot of books and you're like, man, did this really have to be this long? No, it did not. Um, but uh, so, uh, you know, would really uh, would really encourage people uh, just in general. If you have sons uh, to pick up 41 deposits, crucial conversations for fathers and sons, um, but also take a look at um, to take a look at your new book um, that are really the five tasks uh, which every leader needs to know. Um, So so, uh, Steve, just thank you so much. You're you're absolutely welcome back anytime. You know, I think it would be fun. We need to figure out a topic that me, you, and Wagner can cover. It would be a lot of fun. That, I'm not sure if we could ever air the be, episode. That would be a, that would be a runaway conversation. It would be, but so it would be much fun. fun. It would be. All right. Well, uh, thanks crazy. again, and uh, thank you guys for listening. Please hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Thanks.